we copy the person next to us, not only is their brand halved in, in power and uniqueness, but ours halved as well. If we do something totally different, then both stand twice as tall. I think that's a really incredible thing. Hey, hey. Welcome to the Up and Becoming podcast. I'm Kurt Bingham, your host, and I'm so glad you're here. Today, I am speaking to Ollie Sampson uh, from Bryce Atlas. He is a wedding photographer, photographer, and is known for speaking on creativity all over the world. He likens himself to Wes Anderson, if you know the movies, and he was just such a fun person to talk to. We touch on branding, owning your voice, and most of all, we cover Ollie's up and becoming story. So without further ado, enjoy this episode. Thanks for, thanks for coming on, having a chat. Hi, thanks for having us. a treat. I think before we talk about anything, we need to touch on, uh, I just watched your story and pigs. <laughs> what, what is um what's what's going on there like do you have a farm like is that where you uh no my girlfriend's parents they have a um i guess yeah you'd call it a hobby farm um so we bought these two little little punks and had them with us in a in a city house which as you can imagine uh are really built for farm animals yeah um so they stayed here for a couple of weeks a really hilarious couple of weeks and um yeah now they've got more room to move around now that they're each the size of a bus they've got more yeah. grazing past that's amazing so they were fantastic. were they just little small ones for a bit you know just kind of like were, puppy pigs yeah. puppy, they're, puppy pigs. <laughs> yeah. they're, they're classed as mini pigs and um uh, of course small mini pig gets is still about the size of a fat labrador so they're currently that size now but yeah they were I mean, when they when they first came around, they would have been maybe fifteen centimeters in length. Just oh wow, pure serotonin. So, <laughs> I, that's I awesome. Them if you've got a yard to be torn up, yeah, I saw that. That's I think that's what I was I was most shocked with. They it's almost like when you leave a puppy to its own devices <laughs> and it just rips everything up in the house. But pigs, they um, they rip everything up in the backyard. I guess. It, Totally. If you look at their, their skull, it's actually shaped like a shovel. Like they're <laughs> engineered. That's shovel. awesome. Incredible. Wow. Um, well, I guess, yeah, I guess we better <laughs> just, we could talk about pigs all day. Um, Dude, I'm down for it. Sorry for so, yeah. people listening. Um, I think something that I've noticed you are known for is creativity, um, which is quite an interesting thing to be known for. Um, what uh like how did that all start like were you always in the creative uh realm or did that is that kind of like a late blooming thing or i mean i i started off drawing in primary school and you know i was probably i think grade one or two and getting what could loosely be called commissions to draw stuff draw monsters and all that type of thing and that kind of carried (laughs) on um you know until i quit drawing at 16 if you can quit a vocation you don't have at 16 yeah I did that 
I quit and, drumming, uh, so uh, similar. <laughs> yeah, yeah Dr- French is a big emergency scene, a really high, so. Yeah. And then um, got into a career of sinking cans of Woodstock and UDL for a few years. Um, but I kind of picked that up again, uh, of the Woodstock, but drawing, working at ad agencies for, um, for a little while there. And, and um, yeah, kind of funneled that into being a digital sort of creative director type role, building apps and, and um, you know, animations and e-learning stuff for kids. And that's kind of where I fell in love with character design and character animation and basically did a lot of that for a few years and touched every area of design that I could. Yeah, wow. And then when, like, where did that evolve into photography? There was a guy at a, um, an agency I was at, uh, Ty Johnson, shout out to Ty. And, you know, he started doing a bit of photography at the agency and, um, and I'd never seen you know, background blur, bokeh before. And, and I kind of, it was one of those moments where you kind of fall in love with this, you know, almost silly technical thing um, that seems to be quite accessible. So picked up a DSLR, uh, 50 mil, 1.8, and just went traveling and, and basically fell in love with it from the point of view of um, just this technical thing, not even the art of or craft of photography necessarily. Um, I guess it's like if you're a guitarist and, um, you know, your mate gives you this pedal that does all this crazy whack shit, um, totally unmusical, but it's kind of like, holy shit, I can pluck one note and it turns into 500. <laughs> yeah. With a guitar pedal. Uh, and I guess yeah, yeah we, I can see the guitar in the in the yeah the rear view there. I've got to tilt my um, I've got to tilt my camera a little further up to hide all the. So no, you're with good. this pandemic office, it's got um three businesses in here crammed in every corner of it. Um, while while we're on lockdown. Yeah, um, what are those businesses? So I've got a photography one, Briar's Atlas. Uh, I've got what could loosely be called an education one. Uh, you know where I do speaking and and make apps and lots of stuff. And the third one behind me, which is the inverted crosses, is, is the arborists. So we do installation styling pieces for weddings and events. Um, That's cool. We've got a pretty narrow catalogue at the moment, but it's been it's been fun to just have on the side. Yeah, um, I think. Well, now that I know how to say Bryce Atlas, I wasn't sure how to actually pronounce that. <laughs> that was uh, one of my questions. How does one pronounce this? Um, it says it says on your it says on your Instagram. Um, uh, it's like you'd know it better than I would, but you shoot photos like Wes Anderson. Is that is that what it it communicates? That, that's the um. So when I went to the a creative agency once, they had a um they had a guy, this consultant, come in, and he was basically tasked with, amongst other things, getting them to work out what they called their their B hag, which in corporate. Uh, LinkedIn jingo terms is big, hairy, audacious goal. And it's the idea that this is the kind of um, North Star that in this process of of revamping themselves, it's, it's a thing they aim for and and constantly have on their radar. Um, and their big, hairy, audacious goal at that time was to be the apple of the design, web design world. That was the thing they had literally printed out on their wall. Um, and not that I went through this process for Briar's Atlas, but when I think about the type of work or the type of conversations that I would like my work yeah. to be, yeah, for me, Wes Anderson is is that thing. You know, I, I don't think I'm anywhere near the creative that he is. But if I constantly have that on my mind when I'm photographing or when I'm branding myself, then that kind of guides the decisions that I make. And I kind of think everyone should have something like that. 
yeah it, it really inspired me actually i was just like man who would i I almost wanted to steal yours because <laughs> I love Wes Anderson. Um, for those that um, don't know who Wes is, like, could you share a little blurb about who Wes Anderson is, what he does? I'm really the wrong person to ask because it's like, um, <laughs> okay. you know, I, 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 I talk about Tarantino in this way. I'm like, I'm an aspirational Quentin Tarantino fan. Yeah. Um, I fall asleep really early into his movies, but I, I love the worlds that he creates and I love yeah. how he talks through the art of cinema. Um, for me, Wes Anderson is kind of similar. I I don't know enough of his back catalogue. Seen a few of his films. I I love the impact it makes. I love I love the 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 sense of being that he kind of feeds into his characters, and I love the print that his own you know the footprint that he puts on all of the work that yeah. he makes. I just don't know his films backwards, but I know that when you see a frame of Wes Anderson film or when you see a sequence or yeah. you watch Grand Budapest Hotel, that signature is really clear. Yeah, that's so true. Um, that's, yeah, I actually I follow... Sorry, I think I answered the question. Oh, no, you're fine. Oh, yeah, so Wes Anderson, he's a, yeah, he's a film director. Like, is he a cinematographer as well? Um, does he do... I think he, so. I don't know if he um, gets credited with that, but I think when you're a director like him, you know, you're... Is he, he just controls oh, every single piece of a, of a narrative. Which is yeah. control free in, in a yeah. great way. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Like, you know, you're kind of um, the, the idea of being control free has been hijacked by negativity. And I think it can actually be a really positive thing to have mm. this one level of control over everything. Um, you know, films can be made in so many different ways. There's this school of thought about freewheeling it and, and running and gunning and being super organic. And then there's a school of, um, you know, someone like Alfred Hitchcock who maniacally crafts and and um, impose himself uh, for better or worse over every kind of part of the craft of making a film. Yeah. You know, down to, down to in one scene, I can't remember which film, down to just implanting a tiny light in this glass that the character was holding as they walked upstairs because um, he couldn't get the feeling that he wanted in that scene. So he served as, you know, director, DOP, um, stylist, you know, kind of had a hand in everything. Yeah. I, yeah. Okay. People that people that are so devoted to their craft like that blow me away. I think even um, even to mention, uh, I, I don't know if you know, you're familiar with Cy Moore. Do you know Cy? Oh, Bailey, Bailey Moore. <laughs> Cy is my other big hairy audacious goal and emphasis oh, okay. on. <laughs> I just yeah. But if if you can give one bit of advice to anyone, it's just uh, be like Cy Moore. Yeah, uh, Simon is a photographer um, in New Zealand. For those that aren't familiar with him, um, you can check him out. But yeah, I, I guess I just stepped recently into uh, wedding photography, and I was just my eyes were open to this world that I just never known. I thought always thought wedding photography was kind of like, you know, I, I saw Bridezilla, or I was like, oh, it's just too much work. Um, but there's such a beautiful community, and. I realized that kind of pulled my, like my editorial work and my desire to, um, to just hang out with cool people. Um, and it, it created this, I guess, yeah, like this just pulled all the pieces together in a way. Um, and everyone's been so generous, like yourself, um, Cy and just helping me, like telling me what, you know, what to look for. I think a really big thing that Cy has taught me about is, that you need to be a seer of light, you know, mm -hmm. and um, that I've ne actually never really thought about that perspective. Um, and that's, yeah, I guess 
that's something I've seen a lot in your work as well. Like you really, you really manipulate light and try funky different things, especially in analog um, that I hadn't seen before. And it does look kind of like Wes Anderson, to be honest. So I think you're, you're cut, you know, you're getting there. (laughs) Um, Yeah. It's been really cool to see. Um, I think, Yeah, yeah, I think on that, like, did you start out in digital or um, did you start like on analog? Like I know you shoot a lot of analog these days. That's I mean, to say I started out in digital would probably discredit my really prolific career as a nine-year-old holding this like shitty Kodak star point and shoot and, you know, producing <laughs> this body of work of mud. So, you know, I touched analog um, as, as a kid, but yeah, definitely started out digital and then, um, you know, a few years later, a friend, uh, oh, just a slight tangent, you know. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> the one recommendation I give to every, anyone is have, um, have some kind of like curator or, or person that's kind of feeding you to uh, making or helping make crucial decisions pretty early. So, yeah. you know, I had a friend from Mario Obaka and I was sort of starting to get interested in film and she had a um, Yashica 635 uh, twin okay. lens reference. And, you know, that's the camera I tell everyone to get now. It was my... Yeah, you do. I, 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 sorry, use it. It's a gorgeous piece of engineering. Um, and, you know, the, you just need to fall in love with one object. There's never going to be a perfect one. Um, just take one and run with it. Get yeah. one that works. Um, but, yeah, I picked up a, a twin lens reflex. And until I ingloriously destroyed it last year, that's pretty much um, been what created most of my favourite work. Yeah, wow, you destroyed it. <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, it got to, it still works, but you've yeah. got to jam a stick in the, shut, in the non-existent shutter hole to mm. fire it. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's out of day at the moment. Yeah, you, might, you should just send it away to get, get fixed. Maybe. Uh, I know, I should, yeah. You're like, uh, <laughs> sentimental, maybe. It's that thing of, yeah, I mean, do, do I retire it in its, you know, five or six years of glory or... Yeah, I probably should bring it, but I've had I've had the eyes on a, a Rolleiflex or, or a Rolly. Um, mm. Simon actually uses a Rolly. He's he's going you know, to become Lord of the Rolly. Yeah, they're a lot they're a lot more expensive than I actually originally thought. I found one yesterday for three thousand euro, oh. um, <laughs> and I was like, how are they that much money? Um, but Dude, I guess that's crazy. what people are willing to spend on something that you can take to your to your deathbed in a way that those things just last. Yeah, they're, they're, you know, they're built like bullets. Um, but if you take off the word flex, I think the roll of flex 2.8s, they go for, you know, you've got to, you've got to lay a bloody um, house deposit on it. But um, there's a roll yeah. of cord, uh, the 3.5, uh, and I think okay. you can find them. You know, they're, they're kind of getting out there now. But um, I think you can find them for around 500 if you have a keen eye. Oh, that's good. I'll have to have a look. <laughs> I've been looking. I just got the Canon AE one as I... I've told you, so I'm pretty excited to have king. a go with that. That's the king, that thing. Yeah, apparently. I'm yeah, shooting a wedding in a week, so that'll be um. So you're shooting with the AU well, one. No, I'm gonna shoot digital, but I'm, I'm gonna take the AU one as well, just to <laughs> just to get a few photos. We'll see what happens. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah there's, there's no going back. Yeah, I've been told. I've actually yeah, I've never loved photography more than right now, like exploring film. Um, yeah, it's it's actually been so fun. Even just to have the space. Yeah. Even just to be what? Even just to have like the space the past couple of months to really 
dive deep into photography to dive deep into film. Um, mm. That's been, yeah, it's actually been incredible. Um, I, 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 I'm almost thinking I could go off on a tangent right now, but I was meant to move overseas and then I ended up staying um, and was like, what could I do in Australia? And uh, I'd shot a few weddings just before coronavirus kind of happened. And um, I just said, well, I actually really enjoyed that. So why not go for it? And then the doors just kept opening. And um, and now I've kind of found, found myself here on this on this podcast, but also like building a wedding photography brand. So we're good. And do you think you're going to follow that through out here? Yeah, in Sydney. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, well, well, Sydney and beyond. I'd love to, I would love to be a destination photographer, but um, right now that's not really an option. <laughs> so, <laughs> with uh, the borders. Um, yeah, slight, slight difficulty there. Maybe it'll be Sydney and rural areas. <laughs> yeah. New, New South Wales right now. Um, I keep forgetting you've got all these like pretty majestic, well, even in Victoria, you know, the north northwest side, but there's all these areas of the state that I you know, completely forget about. WA is huge. Yeah. You know, there's a lot to be done there. In We're the always looking at, on the other side, hey, always looking at the, the greener grass sometimes. I'd love to shoot in New Zealand, to be honest. That'd be a dream. Yeah. Oh, it's it's impossible for me that, you know, four odd million people have that entire, entire patch of land of themselves. Yeah, yeah. Those pigs would love that. <laughs> Fly them over there. Five star pig resort. Um, that's awesome. Sam, actually, yeah. one, of, um, one of New Zealand's uh, dearest countrymen who I adore following online, uh, Sam Neal, is an avid pig lover. So if for nothing else, follow Sam Neal for okay. his romance with his pet pig, Angelica. It's, it's brilliant. Okay. I will <laughs> open up a new, new world today. The world, yeah. yeah the, the world of pigs. If you think you know what a pig looks like you, when you see Angelica, which is a she's a different breed of pig, but if you can imagine putting a bunch of um, uh, golf balls, socks, uh, car tires, and oil into a Nutribullet, blending it around on pulse for thirty seconds, and then um, letting okay. it set, that's kind of <laughs> what his pig looks like. It's a she's a she's an interesting interesting looking creature. I almost want to look right now, but I'll wait. Yeah. (laughs) Grab his phone out. Um, For those that are listening, you can do that while we speak. Check out Sam O'Neill. Yes. Sam Neill and uh, he's Angelica. Awesome. Um, So I actually found, I found something. Oh, wait, where is it? I think it's on my phone. Um, Oh, where? I found a little bio that I thought I'd read of yours that I was like, Oh, wow. Cause you know, I know from our conversations that you're like, I know for one that you're an incredible photographer, incredible creative. Um, but I almost was like going in blind in a way. So I thought, you know, why not just read a little bit more about Ollie? Cause everyone seems to know Ollie like they do. Um, but this is what, this is what the, uh, I think it's a wedding photography awards by it says, uh, Oli is an internationally awarded director, photographer, and conference speaker, sharing the strange-shaped bastard art of creative thinking at conferences in New York, Rome, Vancouver, Athens, and beyond. Oli was selected globally to document the largest all-women in-STEM voyage to Antarctica in 2018. Um, And that's kind of what I wrote down (laughs) from what they said. And I was like, Antarctica, okay. Um, Tell me a little bit about that. Like, I'll... Yeah, that's so that's so interesting. You went to Antarctica. What was that 
What's that for? It was this, um, it's this global leadership program called Homeward Bound. Okay. And they're kind of, you know, their goal is to send a thousand scientists or not scientists, but a thousand people in STEM uh, to the continent over a 10 year period. Um, but the Antarctica parts actually, it's kind of like a, it's the closing of a year long program. So they, these people apply and get selected for this uh, leadership program and all of them are working in science, tech, education, uh, medicine or math. Um, and they've got various roles from, you know, being on the ground or being in policy making um, or, you know, any, any shade of either of those. And those are accepted to a 12 month leadership program um, remotely with each other from all over the world. And right at the end, they complete the last part of that program uh, in Antarctica. So it's a month long uh month-long trip down there with three weeks in the actual continent itself um, on a ship. So, yeah, basically I documented the second voyage of that and I think they're at currently filling the fifth the, the, the fifth uh, cohort. Um, but, yeah, incredible. Like, basically there to produce a book for that voyage and the year previous to me they had a um, – they funded a film crew which are producing a feature film which I think is – um, getting wrapped up right now. Okay. Uh, yeah. So all of the work produced down there still really hasn't seen the light of day, um, and I think it's actually changing shape into something different now. So cool how that happens. Hey, <laughs> how you yes. how you go and then it just completely changes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, that happens you know, to me a lot. <laughs> as a, well, as yeah, a designer, you, you would know that as well. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. how do you feel about your pivot though? Like your Almost thanks to a pandemic, your entire current universe changed. Yeah. And future. I've thought about that a lot, actually. Because um, it's, yeah, <laughs> pregnant pause. I'm just like, um, I think a lot of my friends, I have a lot of friends who are from overseas. So a lot of them have gone home. Um, and then I've kind of, you know, not got stuck here, but that's kind of how I felt at first. Um, and I was going over to pursue film, like, uh, to work with some people, uh, for the Tribeca film festival. Um, and that film festival. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of, yeah, that's true. It is. It's a, it's a big deal. <laughs> the Tribeca film festival. Um, but that was even, t- you know, put off, um, and everything's been online, all the awards. So I kind of, I just, yeah, I kind of just sat down one day and, and, and thought about what, you know, what could I make use of the time right now and what have I wanted to invest in and what would I have done if I was in New York? Um, and one of them was a podcast. So, you know, here we are and interviewing people that are, you know, in, in the process of creating something or growing to be something that they have always aspired to be. Um, and that, that's something I've always just been curious about. And I was going to do that in New York and find, you know, all kind of the just people that are like killing it. You know what I mean? And then I, I started to notice that people just in, you know, in the area, like if you start to look, you start to you start to find the gold. And, you know, mm-hmm. I, I um, started to meet all these incredible people and I was like, you know, I can do this in Australia. Like, why do I need, to do all of this stuff in New York city. Yes. Cause it's been a dream, but I can still do it here. Um, and then the wedding photography thing just came in because 
people were asking me if I'd shoot weddings and then I was like, well, I really enjoy it. Why not go for it? You know, there's nothing else that I'm kind of focusing on right now. Um, I'm not working on any projects and it, it's something that really speaks to me. I, I, I got sick of adding to the chaos of just like, I did a bit of graphic design. I did a bit of, um, yeah, I did a bit of editorial photography and it just felt like, Oh, we need more assets. We need more content. We need, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But when you shoot a wedding, it's done. Right. And it, it sits maybe for some on in a, in a album that's going to last, you know, it's, it has a legacy. And I started to think that's something I could be part of. That's something that I um, find more purpose in than just like creating content for social channels all the time, you know? So mm -hmm. That's kind of, yeah, that's kind of how it pivoted. And then I just, I just dive deep. I started to follow people and, and ask people questions like yourself. Um, and now I'm, yeah, I'm kind of in there. I'm like, let's do this. Like, let's, um, let's shoot weddings. Let's learn film. And let's start a podcast. <laughs> so, yeah. You can have it all. You can, maybe. We'll see. See how this goes. Um <laughs> I think thanks for asking though. I really, I really appreciate that. Um, I think something I have learned from you just in the past little bit is um, you talked a lot about like showing your work and, um, and like shadow ego. Could you talk a little bit about that? Like what is, what is shadow ego? Um, I've forgotten now. Have <laughs> you? No, no, you don't, uh, you don't have to <laughs> no, I think I just could, speak I think towards within. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, well, you know, I, I realise, so I've got this kind of, you know, a lot of it's uh, cultural cringe around talking yeah. about what you do. And, and, you know, the thing I noticed when I started shooting a bunch uh, in the States is that, you know, people there just say what, they say what they do, they say what they are, they say what they want to be, all that sort of stuff. And yeah, it gets kind of um, perceived as being arrogance from outside of the States. But when you're there in it amongst it, you, you realize it's not people are just they're just cutting to the chase and and they're cutting out this dance a lot quicker um not that that dance is a bad thing for example um th this thing in iran they have is called tarof where it's kind of the art of saying you don't want something twice before then accepting it on the third time so for example if um you know husband and wife are at the altar um the celebrant will ask the wife if she accepts the husband's hand um, she'll sort of turn away or say no twice before finally accepting. Same with food. You know, if, you, um, if, if you're offered food in a house, it's kind of almost expected you'll say no twice and on the third time you'll kind of relent. Um, so I, I really love how all of these dances are in different cultures and why, why they are that way and, and what they do. But the thing I definitely noticed with uh, Australia is that there's less less of a celebration of what you do and not in like a, you know, an arrogant overt way, but less at all. Um, mm. And I kind of like dived into that a little bit and I realized two things. Firstly, it was hurting me and my business because I wasn't putting stuff out there. And if you don't talk about what you do, the funny trade off of that is people don't know you do it. Who knew? It's crazy. Wow, it's true. Um, and the second is it's kind of more egotistical, I think, and more arrogant to want to sit there and have people discover you or find you or think that people should have to peel through layers to find you around a corner. Um, that is kind of this false 
and not really talked about art ego thing, the shadow ego that I, that I think I called it, yeah. where you kind of, you're almost being more egotistical by making an effort to not put anything out there and make it deliberately hard or have your work inaccessible. So I, I find it enormously difficult talking about the stuff I do, um, contrary to that bio you read out before. Uh, but it turns out it's a functional move and you have to kind of go, you know, what? I just, I don't give a shit how this is kind of uh, perceived. Uh, I have to talk about the things that I'm doing. I have to talk about uh, opportunities I had and in a really succinct, narrow way because that that's a useful, functional thing. And uh, I'd hurt my business before by not doing that. So, yeah, that's the, that's the shadow ego, I guess. Yeah. That's and yeah. it makes it easy for everybody else if you just talk about what you do, why you do it. It does, doesn't it? Yeah. What opportunities you've had. I think the allure uh, for New York City was that. When I was there, um, I spent a month or so there like a couple of years ago. Everyone was just so encouraging. And it wasn't, they were also like, they also had a like, they had their own ego and their own like sass mm-hmm. about them. And, um, but, they asked you what you did and they didn't bring you down because you wanted to do it. They were like, Oh, that's awesome, man. Like, yeah, bro. Like do it, man. Like, you know, like just <laughs> as they, as they do, sorry for the Americans listening. I just, you know, bastardize. Uh, yeah. Bastardize your accent. <laughs> um, my best friends are American. So it's, it's okay. <laughs> Maybe. Um, but it just left me feeling like, I was on cloud nine and then I came back to Melbourne. I was living in Melbourne for four years, came back to Melbourne and I had all these ideas and like talked to a few trusted people at the time. And they were like, man, like really, really like, ah, uh, you should just finish your degree. You know, you just like, yeah. you've got a real, you've got like, I was working um, at that time on a contract for a thank you, um, which is incredible. You thank you group. They're an incredible brand. Based yeah. In Melbourne. Yeah. Dude. Yeah. <laughs> Um, the, if you're going to work for a, a brilliant cutting edge, uh, not for profit, thank you. Rick. Oh, hundred percent. Daniel Flynn and Justine. Yeah. They're the people that, yeah, the guys that run it are just amazing. And I learned so much from them, but, um, I think the biggest thing for me was I knew that there was something that I wanted to do and there's something that I wanted to pursue. And I had to, I had to like, turn away from those voices and just be like, no, this is like, this is in me. Like no, it's someone once said to me, it's a thing that's most obvious to you, but no one else sees. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, for me, that's like photography. That's like seeing details and things that uh, no one else tends to notice. And, and I struggle to take affirmation for my work, but something you, I think you said it, <laughs> uh, maybe aside, <laughs> now I'm going to use mixed up, but um it's just believing. Yeah, you did say it. it's believing that you're a really killer photographer or believing you're a really killer, you know, fill in the blank for some of my friends. It's a, a songwriter or an artist or, you know, a psychologist, one of my friends as pursuing. Mm. And I think once we, we own what we do and then we just work from there, things get a lot easier. Um, Definitely. And yeah. you know, never being complacent about it's also the key. Like, um, I, um, you know, I receiving almost any, you know, any time we're, we're really a visual industry. So, you know, yeah. compliments come thick and fast because it's easier uh, uh, for us to do that both ways. And, you know, when I receive, if I 
receive a compliment on an image or whatever, I I kind of try and deflect it really quickly um, because I don't actually feel it, and it's not a that's not a um, false modesty type thing. I I'm always always focused on how I fucked up, and I'm also I'm also completely fine with that. I don't you know I think I want to sit in a, a state of cathartic happiness about everything the whole time, but um it's but then also being able to accept that is, is a different art in itself. Like I, I deflected one I received from my mate, uh, Alex Vaughan, and she's a, a brilliant portrait photographer, actually out your way in Sydney. And, um, and she just replied back bluntly, just take it. Yeah. Just fucking take it. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, yeah. It's actually annoying when someone's there going, oh, no. no it no, is, no, no. yeah. Oh, it's that shadow ego as well. So, yeah, there's also an art to that. I, you said something interesting before, though, about um, about people saying just do your degree. And I think another thing that's really important with all of this stuff is that those opinions and those people are actually super important. And I think there's a tendency um, uh, a tendency for us to talk about them. I guess in a way, not I'm not saying you spoke about them this way, but I'm just extrapolating. Um, you know, if if you hear a rap song where they talk about teachers who are saying that amount amount to nothing. Um, what if the teacher used that as a device to, to push them? And the reason I say that is not because the teacher did, but I think figures of resistance in our life sometimes might be doing that. And I think they're a lot more useful in uh, creating an impetus out of us to actually follow something. And if they weren't there, we'd probably just sit on our hands because there's no one telling us no. And I don't think we get told no enough. If you're an actor, you're beating down doors every day and one of the big crafts in acting is being able to deal with those no's that we don't really have to deal with in photography unless we're chasing really hard-won commissions like Magnum, Nat Geo, that type of thing. It's a really comparatively easy field and there was a guy I interviewed um, in a band in the States and, you know, his full-time job is playing in a heavy metal band and a kid at a uh, library um, was he at a library? No, he wasn't a library. He was at a bookstore. Um, he recounted this story where this kid came up to him in a bookstore and recognised him. And he's like, oh, my God, like, you know, this kid was 15 or something. He's like, "How? What, what advice have you got for me? And this thing is like, all right, do you want the real advice or the bullshit? And the kid's kind of sat there with trepidation. And he's gone, uh, the real advice? And the singer's gone, don't fucking do it. You've got no chance. <laughs> and left at that. And then a few years later, um, they were playing at a festival on the same bill, this kid and that singer. So this kid had taken that and the kid's gone up to the singer and he's gone, hey, fuck you, Randy. I'm like, I did it, I'm here. And Randy's gone, fuck yes, that's exactly, that's exactly why I said that. Because you don't need to have your tires pumped, you need the reality, and that is the reality, um, but you can cut through the reality if you if you put your ass into it. And I think that's a, a fantastic lost art that we kind of demonize, you know, those resistant figures. Yeah, it's so easy to do that. Hey, look, look at the, yeah. or even your parents, even like, you know, your parents are often oh, like, do the, do the degree, do the, um, yeah. <laughs> um, what if that's, what if that's the most useful thing anyone ever told you, you know? Yeah. Did your degree, you're in a job you hate for four years and that, culmination of seven years with this fire that wouldn't have otherwise been lit. Oh, completely. And I think you're all, you're always in, in the process of figuring out what you what you love and, and sometimes things completely change. Um, who knows how long photography will be um, 
something that I, I love. I hope that it is for the rest of my life. But then again, there's so many things that could happen, you know? Especially in a craft that's pretty democratised like this one. And, you know, the whole pandemic ISO lockdown thing is a, is a really interesting time for that because there's, there's not much resistance and there's a lot of room to use that productively to percolate stuff. You know, like you said, your, your pivot and what that looks like. Um, this time's really a gift for that, I think. Yeah, it's been, it's kind of given me the, the space to, to step out of the gates with everyone else um, when this mm-hmm. kind of all cools off. Um, and I'm definitely like everything's under construction still, like I'm building a website and I'm, I'm figuring out, you know, what my brand is, um, which is very, it's very tricky because you know, I think you've even talked about, you actually mentioned something yesterday on your, um, your little egg, uh, egg series, which you guys should check out on Bryce Atlas. It's really mm-hmm. brilliant. Um, you, you talked about why your brand should be next different to the person next to you. Um, and that's something I find really tricky. Like, could you speak to that? Like some things that you've learned on how to do that well, or. The thing I found in, um, in coming from, you know, having the really fortunate situation of, you know, working at design agencies and seeing what other designers do and and how folks in the craft of design build a vocabulary for all of the things that came before in their craft was really interesting because when I came to photography, um, if, if an industry's got less barriers to entry, um, and, you know, design has arguably less ba- uh, barriers to entry depending on how you, how you go about it, of, of course, but photography the barrier to entry is pretty low at the start. You know, if you're, you know, if we have enthusiasm, if we have, um, you know, a bit of creative eye and all that stuff, you, we can build a brand pretty quickly. Like it's something you can kind of, you kind of do in a few days, do a couple of test shoots and have, have a shop run up. Um, and if there's no barriers to entry, it means that it can be tempting to kind of not look or not build a vocabulary for what came before. And, you know, that's something that hurt me again, firsthand when I, when I realized I, um, had not done a whole lot of things that I should have from a business point of view um, because I was riding this wave of, I guess, of ease for the first couple of years. Yeah, because you got a few, um, you got a few publications, hey, early on and you got all these wedding bookings um, and then yeah. now that's no longer the same game. Yeah. It's a completely different game now, wildly different game. Um, and from a design point of view, I saw that um, there were, you know, there was what I call Outlegate a few years ago where, Man, the amount of deer atlas on photographers' brands was like, holy shit. Everyone's yeah. like a um, tartan wearing, um, uh, you know, woodcutter. What? And it's because there's this natural gravitation to, towards what's around us as, as a language. So if there's this particular, if you look at design as being this, um, you know, giant bucket of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of languages, um, and that's without even merging different languages together you realise that um, there's a whole lot of different ways to, to speak your, you know, let's call it brand truth through the art of visual medium. And something I saw with photographers was that there was just only a couple of languages being used and it, it created this kind of pool where it's like everyone's brand's diluted because nothing's standing out. The whole idea of a brand is to stand out from the, the shop next to you somehow you know even if maccas mcdonald's and kfc are right next to each other no one's gonna mistake those two things 
And, you know, down to the same colour palettes being used, same choice of typography, it's actually so easy to, to not do that uh, if we just build a vocabulary in design. And I'm not even talking about designing our own brand. If we're going to hire a designer, the one thing people should be doing is before they do any of that branding work, any conversation with the designer, is first building up a vocabulary on the art of design and giving that the respect that they give their own photography um, and expectations when couples come to them is to go, okay, what is the craft of design? What are the languages? How do they differ? How does, um, you know, the art of brutalist design or what what was being, you know, the 80s um, train network in New York to use a really uh, commonly known one. How do they all look so different from what's being done now? And what's all the stuff in between? Because there's so many ways to do it. And if we copy the person next to us, not only is their brand halved in, in power and uniqueness, but ours is halved as well. If we do something totally different, then both stand twice as, to- twice as tall. I think that's a really incredible thing. Because then that, that also speaks to collaboration. And I think even something I've seen with the people that are doing really well in the industry um, is that they're so willing to to pull out a seat for someone and like say, hey, yeah, sit here. Like I can teach you. Like I've got so much that to offer. Um, not, oh, no, there's no seats for you at this table. You know, go away. Mm. You know, I think that's 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 something that i've seen in the design industry especially like everyone there wasn't as much collaboration and and perhaps it's just a sphere that i was in i don't ever want to say that that's not like the case but um i've met some really brilliant people recently just that have been willing to take a seat with me even like yourself and wanted to share um and i think that's made all the difference so Mm. Yeah. So I think it's asking, isn't it? Like, don't ask, don't get. Um, one of the projects that I worked on a few years ago that's really close to my heart. Um, you know, I got to I got to talk to these you know people I grew up watching or, or listening to, and yeah. and sharing a really intimate space with them. And if someone asks, how did how did that come about? I'm like, oh, I literally just found out what they're doing now and sent them an email. <laughs> like, the one thing that doesn't go away no matter what field you're in is I think most people remember what it was like to start something or what it was mm. like to feel the love for their own industry when they started and if if you know people can smell that um authentic connection a mile away and if you reach out with that spirit about you then yeah people want to collaborate I think and and it inspires me to want to do the same like I want to um share the little that I know um but I think even what you said about the brand and helping the person next to you stand taller. Um, yeah, that, that should, that should be in every industry, you know, there should be room for that. Um, and I definitely expect a lot of people to, you know, the people that listen to this to, um, to be from a walks of life. And I'm sure that if they can, um, just see that, Oh no, I, I have a lot to share. Like I can actually speak to something, um, going back to that, the thing that's obvious to me, I think that, uh, unique perspective usually can, can help people if we're willing to, to kind of just listen and, and be aware. Um, totally. and it's going to be the most, I think, valuable thing always ongoing. You know, if we look at, um, TikTok right now and 
and how that platform, you know, is kind of associated with being just one thing. But then you start to see people using it in a in a really different way. And it's like, okay, wow, these this one or two or three people, or you know, this handful of people from their own industry, um, they're using it in a different way. It's immediately obvious they're building an audience. There's a psychologist, I can't remember her name. Uh, she's using TikTok to give uh, small bite-sized bits of relevant psychology expertise. Wow. And the challenge, like, oh, that's brilliant. It's brilliant. Genius. Like, it's, <laughs> I, I haven't touched TikTok. Uh, maybe I should look. <laughs> Dude, now it's time to get on there. You know, there's... there's yeah, Gary be, B said that like five years ago. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Gary. Gary. <laughs> anyway. Uh, yeah, there will be fatigue on what's being put on TikTok in, I don't know how long, one or two years, less maybe, and people are going to want to connect with that platform being used, I guess, in the way the blogging platforms were used years ago where you really saw an intimate, different look at someone. It wasn't just dance videos, you know? I guess when you look at the industry right now, what do you, what do you see that's kind of unique or what do you see that's coming out, out of the fray that is, is different? Um, so business point of view, I would say the market's huge now. Like it's why it's much more competitive, uh, right now. And I think, you know, people also have, have realized that the, the work or the art that, that we think is important is less important than, than serving people. And that's really hit home. And that's where things like, you know, the old world of networking, comes mm. out, you know, the dirty word in the arts industry, which is like, hang on, that's, that's important and it's not a dirty word when it's done properly. Um, every other industry's done it forever. So I think that's a big shift that I've seen. Um, not the fall of creative capital or the fall of, of, of a unique vision, but the, I guess the rise of all the other stuff, you know. We're, we're more in a volume culture now than we were five or six years ago. That's been a massive change. See, So you've just got to be you just got to get your work out there and at volume, you know, you've got to use, um, you don't have to, there, there's value and merit in, in just trying to wrap a strategy around volume marketing tactics. You know, if we're producing all this work, there's no reason to be hoarding it anymore. We should try and find a way to go. Okay. You know, even though I can't stand uh, device addiction culture, uh, you know, the fact is it's there. And the fact is, we should be getting in front of our market using it. We don't have to use it. We can go and hang out with pet pigs all day, but we should be playing to the channels that are there in a strong way. You taught me that it's better to, you know, like sit on like on a Sunday with a, you know, a beverage in hand and just like crank out all of your content for a month, you know, instead Man, of, Oh yeah. Cause you know, I felt, I feel inauthentic when um, that, that's the danger that I feel is, inauthentic when I'm just like creating all these captions on the, you know, for maybe four hours on a Sunday and then they're what people see the next month. But mm -hmm. you said you can be honest, you know, you can actually still be authentic because it is from your experience. So yeah, authentic, exactly. It was exactly what you said just then. Authenticity isn't tied to this one idea of uploading something in the moment you're creating it, you know. Um, mm. If you think about a body of work of someone, I can't remember her name, it's a phenomenal photographer, and she photographed the development of San Francisco as a city over 20 years, and, you know, wow. she released a body of work over 20 years, and it's utterly captivating to see what a person can make over that time period. And 
that's no less authentic just because she's waited or been building that amount of time, you know. It's, mm. and it's the same with our marketing. Every other industry does what's called a, a content plan or a marketing plan. Um, a theatre company that I used to do some work for, I, I saw theirs and it was this giant Word doc where they pre-planned everything and I'm like, oh, shit, why the hell aren't I doing that? It's insane not to do If you look at it from a numbers point of view, so how long do we spend agonising over what to post? Let's say that's one or two two minutes and we ooh and ah and faff around what things we want to put out and then we ooh and ah over the writing. If you add up those minutes over a month, that's a hell of a lot of time getting wasted uh, on something that shouldn't be wasted on, I, I don't think. And it's this idea of getting into a flow state with one thing and just pre-writing a bunch of stuff. You know, I, I spent a day before I did all that stuff, I spent a day filling up uh, two or three folders with my own labels and I looked over the last seven or eight years worth of work and I filled them with about two or 3,000 images that I would be happy posting. So I've now got four years worth of content wow. sitting there without even counting the stuff I'm going to shoot. So yeah. I've never, ever got to think about what to post now and I think that's the time we've got to be cutting down the most for sure. That's brilliant. Those I'm a little, a little jealous. They shouldn't <laughs> occupy our brain. Oh, mate, you'd smash it. If you, if you sat there for half an hour after this and just said, okay, all I'm doing now is one task and that's finding images I connect with. I'm not thinking about what they are. I'm just looking at purely from a, almost like a feed point of view. Of but I think for me, they need to be weddings because I'm trying to build a wedding brand. Yeah. You know, I don't really have that's many tougher. wedding photos. That's I have tougher. like maybe, what? <laughs> totally. That's tougher. If there's less there, how many shoots have you done? Uh, <laughs> um, wedding, wedding wise, probably, probably like five. <laughs> yeah, you'd be surprised oh man you've got months worth of I did, okay Seriously. i just feel bad like re recycling the same couple you know what i mean it's okay though. but that's the thing we've got to change our we've got to change our um sorry i'm not no, trying please. to like, no go that. you got this but as, as a general thing um the thing i found was i had this i like i didn't put up any stuff on my instagram for months and i and i had this I realized I was anchored in it being my portfolio when it's it's not like people are only all the I data that, people yeah. only scroll for the nine, twelve posts on average. Anything we're worried about should be pushed down within a matter of days anyway. You know, it's just a volume platform. And mm. the idea is to appear in explore feeds, hashtag feeds, it's to use it for the fluidness of it, not the not the permanence of it. Um, you know, that comes from a long term, a longer game. Um Man, yeah. you've got okay five weddings. Let's say you shot four thousand each one. That's four. It's twenty thousand images. You for sure got hundreds of bags okay. in there, bro. <laughs> You're right. That's crazy. Oh, that's I don't crazy. even think about it like that. I'm just like, I'm just looking for the diamonds. <laughs> yeah. Dude, we're all looking for them. Oh man, <laughs> I, I still die inside uh, sometimes. I'm like, you know, you, that artist comes out and agonizes over. Is that right next to that one? And it's like, oh shit, I've just got to. I've just got to play, play the volume game a little bit and be okay with that, you know, because mm. um, the aim of that platform is, is um, brand awareness and uh, inquiries and conversions. It's called that sound. It's to reach out to people who want to focus. Yeah, it's, it's a volume game. That's so true. I think it's probably just because of all the influences that I've had and what I've worked on in the past. It's like every when you're working with like a boss, um, especially every single piece of content to them is like, I don't know, it has to be perfect or it doesn't have to be, but 
from I have that perspective because I'm just like, yes, it needs to be the best. So if I'm sharing my work and I'm trying to get weddings, I'm trying to get ideal clients. Um, I'm like, oh, I didn't really love those photos that much and the specific. So I'm just going to share maybe 20 yeah. of the images I really loved. I feel like, um, oh, now my brain's on a cartwheel. Um, I feel like you can have both though. Like I think just getting meditative and, and, you know, playing with a set of images and giving yourself space to produce it with the intent of finding something different in them it can be a really good exercise. And, uh, you know, and also that act of servitude going, okay, what are the people coming to my feed looking for? Um, you know, and, and this isn't, to, I, I'm reluctant to say this for, for wanting to, um, I guess, appear towards linking uh, gender with things that we look at though. But, you know, if, if you're a bride, you're more inclined to look at, for example, dresses than maybe you, Curtis, you know, and so dresses are of higher importance higher importance to them. So it's this kind of grand act of separation and going, this is not for me. This is for somebody else looking for um, something of, of value to them. And, you know, if they're getting this type of dress on the, that they've already bought and they see this image of uh, dress detail on the bride of mine, and it's vaguely similar, that kind of creates a little micro connection between, between the two of you. Um, yeah. So it's about having your art and your volume. You know, I've, I've kind of, gone on about hating volume culture which I do um, but I think you can also play it authentically and just play to the needs of the, the platform which I guess is the idea there um, without sacrificing your own you know artistic integrity no super helpful um, you might go every three posts is an art one for me you know or every fourth one so jump it again um, you, you might strategize it that way you might go okay one every six posts, so one per every second row is purely for me. It's purely an, an abstract, arty shot so that every time someone's got their thumb on the screen, they're seeing a little chunk of me, but they're also seeing a little chunk of um, servitude to the things that they're also going to be looking at, you know? Yeah. Yeah, wow. Oh, no, that's, that's good. Thank you. Thank you for that. <laughs> I hope uh, whoever's listening is, yeah, applying that as well. Um with uh, when you've traveled for your you know you spoke at i guess conferences all over the world on creativity um what what's something that you see that's quite consistent across each place you've spoken at what really stands out to people if you could give um some of the listeners some advice just on that creativity uh stuff i've kind of yammered on about at them yeah or sure yeah, you're, yeah, stuff you've yammered on about or or maybe even something that you've noticed recently that uh, you have you really want to leave people with um, in the creative industry or wanting oh, to start something. I had this awful kind of quality where the first couple of conferences I did, it was all new to me and I kind of tried to cram an eight-hour workshop into a one-hour talk, which is not the way to talk at a conference. Learned that lesson. You know, people just want one takeaway and usually whatever you wrap around it, it's this kind of central idea that it's okay to like find this little bit of yourself and find a way to put it in your work, something you've kind of been reluctant to, to do, that permission giving thing. And I think every little bit of content that I've given out that might have struck a chord has kind of come back to that in a way. Um, it's squashing this fear around being different but finding that measure of difference. You know, it doesn't have to be all out wacky crazy 
it can just be I'm going to put 20% of my real heart stuff into my marketing, you know, my tone of voice and um, the images I'm putting out there and not playing to, I guess, the current climate of the industry. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a really big takeaway. This, the, <laughs> there's a lot in that. Comes more film. Yeah, man, I um, so much. I feel like I could, we'd need to do part two. <laughs> so much we could talk about. Um, but I did have, I guess, you know, five, five questions, like five flash questions in a way uh, to end on. Um, so I guess just try to answer these as quickly <laughs> as you can. Um, but first question, favorite film or most recent favorite film? Uh, okay. I, I always think I'm going to give you three. <laughs> Go for it. Hashtag breaking the rules. I, I always think back to these two childhood ones, um, Labyrinth and, and Dark Crystal. You know, they're, they're, just, they're just installed on my head. And then recently, the only film that's ever given me the feeling that I felt when I watched Labyrinth as an adult is Pan's Labyrinth. You know, okay. utterly gorgeous soundtrack. It's just, ah, oh, unbelievable film. So, yeah, I'd say okay. Pan's Labyrinth then out of that. Because it kind awesome. of rolls childhood together with, you know, something new. Um, a book that you've read twice or come back to? Uh, oh, man, I'm a terrible reader. I've got like a pile of books I've bought at the airport. Uh, okay, maybe a book that's just stood out. <laughs> maybe. Or audiobook or... Yeah. <laughs> okay. You know, the last book I read and nearly walked into trees with was Magician. It's just, you know, a kind of rather little fantasy book, but um, for some reason it really grabbed me. That's awesome. Okay. Um, what is, what are you, yeah, what are you currently dreaming about right now? Oh, man. <laughs> Honestly, finishing stuff, just finishing stuff and peace. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, what is one piece of advice that has stuck with you? Okay. You know, I'm a, I'm a serial procrastinator and I have a lot of trouble staying on task and I've lost, you know, on a neurological level, I feel like <laughs> the modern world with all its devices has hacked away at my brain. Uh, and, you know, this thing with Ronnie Coleman, he was like the eight-time Mr. Olympia always says, and he's this massive dude with this really, really high-pitched voice. Like, he's so hilarious to watch you can use in the nice. He says, nothing to it but to do it. <laughs> well, that's all it is. Just do it. Just got to do it. Just just do do it. Nothing to it but to do it. And, you know, I'm sitting on a video that I'm trying to edit now, and I'm like, it's not going to edit itself. I just have to block, turn things off and sit in it, sit in that ambiguity and, you know, in that ambiguity. Do, I need to do the same. I'm tackling WordPress today. I just downloaded a flow theme. Ooh, so, <laughs> oh, it took me like three weeks <laughs> to just do it anyway. <laughs> yeah. What is, what is something you could all leave us, leave us all with if you could leave anything. If I could leave one little thing, maybe it would be something around. Don't feel like we've got to play by the rules of the system and not from a point of like pointless rebellion, but, um, down to everything we're using out in, in our working worlds now, social worlds, like there's some pretty toxic stuff. And if we even look at this, this idea that we should be okay with um, uh, being accessible on eight different inboxes, you know, we've got our WhatsApp, 500 Instagram accounts, Facebook, this, all of these platforms and apps have been built by people uh, 
and, you know, I've spoken about this before in, a, in another potty, I think, where they've actually got psychologists uh, and behavioural scientists in there studying how they can make these things more addictive. And they're never going to give us the option to not have to use a part of their platform. It's all in on every platform. And it kind of creates this culture of um, being rampantly accessible 24-7. And I think that's really damaging on a on a cognitive level. And the flow-on effect of that is, is how we work and how we're able to concentrate and, and get stuff done. So I think... In small ways, there's a guy called um, BJ Fogg, a Stanford researcher, and he's got a really interesting body of work on, on tiny habits. And it's as simple as that. Really, his whole body of work is on the act of, you know, big change through tiny habits, not big ones, you know, not making a massive, whatever it is, weight loss goal or whatever. Yeah, It's just about those micro, micro things. Um, so, yeah, t- take micro acts of resistance, you know, whatever that is. Yeah, I think... One little thing I do in, in that uh, regard is I just like, I don't sleep with my phone. <laughs> like, I wake up. I think that's something I've started to do. Um, I don't wake up with it. And then I just like spend the morning, you know, reading or, or journaling or, and it's my morning, you know, I, and I, it's so funny to say, oh, I, I have control. That's honestly how I feel. Cause sometimes you wake up and you're like, you want to flick that thing straight on. You want to see what, what, what's buzzing, but, just yeah. that serene space of like the first few hours, I think it it sets you up for a win every day. There's a uh, it's interesting what you say because you you literally are taking control when everything right now is engineered to take that control from you or that that attention rather. Um, there's a book called my or a podcast book audio book called My Miracle Morning on exactly that topic around taking charge of the morning is being the one thing you can do. And, you know, anyone that knows me knows I'm the last person in the world to, you know, um, jump on um, yoga or whatever else. But I, playing to tiny habits, I'm like, I'm not going to be that person as much as I want to be or, or as much as it might be good for me. But I do what I do do a 10-minute video every morning at, at 6 a.m. It's the most incredible way to start the day. I'm like... I'm going to get antsy after about 15 minutes. So I just, I just stick to 10 minutes. That's enough. Just get, get the body moving. Um, you know, I, again, micro resistance, but I made the decision to get my news from nowhere, but one narrow source. And I subscribed, I did the earth shakingly massive active resistance of subscribing to a newspaper. So every Saturday I get it thrown in my yard, I grab it. And that's my one hour block where I consume news. Whatever's in there, I consume. Whatever's not in there, I don't hear about. Um, and I'm okay with that. That's actually, I think that's a brilliant um, brilliant way to, to end on. So, hey, thanks so much for joining me today and having a chat. Dude, thanks for having us. What you're doing is wicked. That was Ollie Sampson from Briar's Atlas. I hope you guys enjoyed the conversation. And if you want to connect with Ollie, he... Uh, can be found on Instagram at Bryce Atlas or Ollie Sampson. I'll put them in the show notes below. Thanks for being part of this, guys. It's such an incredible thing to be trusted to interview people, and I don't take it lightly. If you want to leave me a review or let me know how this episode spoke to you, please do. And I hope you guys have it the best week. I'm Kurt Bingham. And this is the 
Alpen Becoming Podcast.